If it is true that people can grow, expand their capacities, jump higher, run harder, and compose greater music, that means that the ultimate leadership is servant leadership, for we will produce followers who will surpass us. Runners will become coaches, and train other athletes who will break their records. Executives will hire subordinates and motivate them so well that they may become their superiors. It is not easy to adjust to such a view of the development of leaders, and when some people get to the top, they pull up the ladder with them. They cannot tolerate the ambition of the young and see every subordinate as a potential rival. Such executives hang on by their fingernails in organizations until the last possible moment and give their attention to fighting off rivals rather than nurturing successors. It is a foolish way to lead inasmuch as we are always within one generation of extinction. In my practice, I often see parents who compete with their children and fight them when they try to assert their independence. But when a son tries to show his father that he is stronger, it is not only healthy competition, it is also a desire to please his father and repay him for the years of shepherding and teaching. Growing up in a Texas farm, I recall with affection the years when I began to measure my father's strength in lifting bags of seed and how he was not at all defeated when I began to carry objects too heavy for him. Rather than resisting the competition, he was obviously proud of me and with a wide smile, he would tell mama at the dinner table how strong her son was becoming. I recall those events with such affection because it is an example of the very best leadership. Leadership that believes the best about the people below you, reaches down and pulls them up beside you, and then seeks to push them up even higher. It is interesting to see how profound is this interconnection of the generations by observing it in one's own progeny. One day last summer, my daughter called from Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. She and her 21-month-old son Christopher had been at the emergency room for tests all afternoon. She sobbed, they're admitting him and they think it's meningitis. We raced to the hospital, then went from one floor to another, searching for them. When we finally spied her at the far end of a long corridor, the scene etched a picture in my brain that will be vivid for as long as I live. Sharon was carrying Christopher, unconscious, in her arms, his legs and arms dangling like limp willow limbs after a storm. His fingers and toes were still blue. His grandmother walked on one side, holding the ivy bottle so high so he could continue to get the vital flow of medication as they walked, and on the other side was a nurse, carrying his chart. When I saw that little group hurrying toward us, primal emotions of love, loyalty, fear, intimacy, and the protective instinct all mingled in a moment. But most profound was the awareness that after these years, when we were the parents and in charge, my daughter was now the parent. She was the one making decisions and taking care of her young, and I was there, primarily to watch. 
As we lived through those weeks until Christopher recovered, and as I watched my daughter's devotion to him in the hospital room 24 hours a day, I was in awe of the potent maternal instinct in her that could be gentle and succoring to her baby when necessary, and also ferocious and protecting like a mother bear when necessary. Here was Sharon, who seemed to have been a tiny, frizzy-haired little totter herself, so reasonably, and whose adult life at times had been unfocused and meandering, now powerfully concentrated with an overwhelming and fierce determination that her son was going to live, that he was going to get the best medical care possible, and that he would never awake once during those weeks and be frightened because his mother had gone home. Here was my little girl so determined that her son would live that she almost literally kept him from dying during those early touch and go days. As I watched those scenes, it furnished me with an instructive metaphor for a fundamental act about leadership. We lead best when we seek the welfare of those we lead, when we seek to serve rather than being served. The devotion of a parent, a child, the combination of protecting them and pushing them out of the nest is the epitome of leadership and it is the best example of motivating without manipulating. In fact, when the early biblical writers sought for an analogy with which to describe the relationship between God and creation, it was this very connection that was chosen. God is our Heavenly Father, a loving, prodding, protecting, and coaching parent. It is not always easy for the concerned parent, the idealistic teacher, the high-spirited executive to be tolerant of those we lead. The people who live in our houses and inhabit our offices are sometimes less ambitious than we are, sometimes less sure of themselves, sometimes less gifted. They are, like us, a mixture of the bad and the good. But if we can reach in and draw out the best from them, if we can, like Vince Lombardi, challenge them to give an extra 10%, they will try harder for us than for anyone in the world. And they will accomplish some surprising things. That extra 10%, this may be the difference that wins the game.